Oh my goodness, you were mature enough to not talk for 30 seconds. And it sucked. Hello and welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast, where we like to say, na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. I'm the King of All Cosmos, Fox. Rolling up the collective debris of video and traditional gaming, it's Talon. Hey! And is that a serve of hot chips covered in gravy and topped with melted mozzarella? No, it's Cousin Jab. Just cousins. <laughs> hey, Fox, what you been playing lately? Cat goes fishing! <laughs> What the devil is Cat Goes Fishing? Sounds pretty self-explanatory, I have to admit. (laughs) That's kind of like, you know, first grade comprehension there, Talon. Alright, so it is literally just a video game about a cat going fishing. Cat Goes Fishing. I am led to understand it's a fairly standard model of Android fishing games. And I wasted about three days mucking about with it before I finally caught the more. The more? The more? The more! Hey, Jeb, what you been playing lately? I have been freezing to death in the frozen north. Yeah, but what have you been doing for video games? I've been playing the long dark. Canada jokes, everybody! Tell uh, us about this rare and wonderful example of a player versus Canada game. The long dark is it's an early access title which promises to at some point have a story mode, but for now it only has sandbox play wherein you have to... After crashing your your plane somewhere in the frozen north of Canada, you walk around and attempt to survive as long as possible while being extremely cold and there are wolves after you. One thing I am quite happy about with in regards to Long Dark is that the game starts off before anything else with a disclaimer saying that wolves don't do this. Hey, Talon, what have you been playing lately? Uh, I've been playing a couple of mobile games, which is kind of against my DNA. Also, I've been playing a little bit, not very much, of Dog Sled Saga. (laughs) It's very hard to play much of Dog Sled Saga because the game is split between doing dog races, where you've got to do reactions, you've got to feed the dogs as you're riding, you have to restock at various sled points, you have to jump things, and you have to untangle leads, and it's all very tense and nervous, and you're actually racing other dog sledders. And then there's the stuff you do between that, which is hang out at your house with your dogs. Play with puppies! And and do things like go shopping, and check your journal, and investigate the newspaper, while really gorgeously sprite animated dogs sit there, wagging their tails and looking around and sniffing one another. <laughs> yes. Why would you ever not do, be doing that all the time? I, I haven't gotten a damn thing done in this game. I haven't finished the second race. So, Jeb, I, uh, I, I hear you're the guy who can, who can hook me up if I need some, uh, if I need some card games. Somebody say card games. The current Humble Bundle is a whole bunch of card games about which I am only sort of aware. Well, I can start off by telling you about this one called Magic the Gathering 2015 Duels of the Planeswalker. I hear that Magic the Gathering is an okay card game. It's not really well known. It's a bit of an indie thing. Wait, wait. Is Duel of the Planeswalker then an actual Magic the Gathering game, or is it... I mean, they've done games in the past which were inspired by Magic the Gathering, yeah. but let's say they have a loser relationship to it. The, the, duels, the duels of the Planeswalkers games have, ever since the old Windows 95 game... What kind of program is it? It's a game that lets you play Magic the Gathering? Uh, the Duels of the Planeswalkers games are streamlined card pools that unlock as you play through the storyline. Uh, it's a good way to introduce you to the basics of the game. Wait, so they actually do have 
real Magic the Gathering cards and rules and stuff in them. Yes, and the tapping. It's a little clunky at times with how the stack works and how priority passes. I've seen a single screenshot from that game with one of the players having a Brimaz and three tokens out. I don't know which edition it was. If that's Skills of the Planeswalkers, then they're not limiting you to just really simple cards. That would be 2015 because that's the one that had Theros cards. And they did some a uh, few bit more complicated things, like it had Guild Gates, which was, I believe, the first time that one of the Duels of the Planeswalkers games had dual lands. Oh, huh. that's pretty cool. So it's a decent enough expenditure. It's an alright introduction. Uh, it's a bit pay to win if you want to play multiplayer because you can unlock cards by paying extra money or get their premium collections with a few excellent cards. Surely if you're going to do that, you should just have a Moto account. At that point, you might as well just be playing Mitko. Yeah. Magic Online, I shouldn't nickname things. Also in this bundle, I'm seeing... Scrolls, which is the game that Notch got sued for. Yeah, it's the Mojang card game. I have not sat down and unwrapped it yet. That's a card game? Yeah. Oh. It's, Mm -hmm. to to tip my hand that I have played some Scrolls, uh, it's a grid-based game where you're effectively moving, like, chess piece kind of arrangements across the board. Your pieces have special moves, but you summon them through a deck of cards. So, I mean, the very, I don't know if anyone else had this, the first time I saw Magic the Gathering being laid out, I thought the physical position of the cards related to how they were behaving. I thought that was creating a space. Scrolls kind of does that, where the card units progress through space and interact with one another. Yeah. Alright. The hybrid board card game kind of thing. Yep. Well, it's a, a major advantage of digital card games that you can easily have. Yeah. Uh, a physical space be important, the gameplay itself. Uh, uh, Soulforge does that as well. Segway. <laughs> Soulforge no, is... Soulforge. Soulforge is a free-to-play card game, digital only, developed by uh, some of the makers of Ascension, I believe. And uh, it is extremely fun... And it's one of the few times that I've seen a collectible card game online that lets you share cards. Yeah. Well, like you can lend them to another account. You can lend them to another account. Say, here, have my dinosaurs. <laughs> okay. Which, that by the way, it has dinosaurs. I do like that. Uh, Soulforge has a, an interesting mechanic to it in that when you play a card, a leveled up version of it goes to your discard pile. And every four turns, your deck levels up. You reshuffle your discard pile in, uh, back into your, to your Ooh, library. Yeah. Every time you level up, you can then start playing more and more advanced versions of your cards if you draw them. That sounds like a really cool idea. Like, I, when people do card games with digital things, I really like to see them working in some kind of element that you couldn't do easily with paper cards, and that's a pretty good one. That is also. a really fun one. It does add a lot of variance. And a lot of randomness to uh, competitive games because if you don't draw, for example, when you level up to level three, if you don't draw your level three cards quickly and your opponent does, you are going to lose. Oh, I see. And again, the starter pack you can get here is freaking dinosaurs. (laughs) And the starter pack includes, it's a dinosaur themed deck. But it does include some, their terms are heroic and legendary, but for lack of a better term, rare and mythic cards. Soulforge only has uh, rarities of 
uncommon, rare, heroic, and legendary. Okay. But that's basically common, uncommon, rare, and mythic. But the, the starter packs do include some rares and mythic rares, so it's not, it's not that you're just getting the dregs of it. And excepting for what I've been given and what I've gotten from this bundle, uh, no, none of my card collection has cost any money and I have, uh, an exceptionally large number of cards for it. So it's not <laughs> something that you absolutely need to pay to win or pay to play. And the daily, uh, the daily unlockables can be done in single player. So you don't have to worry about running into opponents who have spent an exorbitant amount of money on their decks. Alright, and... I really Ooh, like Soul Forge. <laughs> it, it sounds good. It, it does sound good. I, I Disclosure, I've already bought this bundle. Um, and I admit, a large portion of that was looking at Soul Forge and going, wait, one of the starters is a packet of dinosaurs? I'm totally going to try that. <laughs> what can you tell us about Star Realms? Star Realms was... Co-developed by Darwin Castle, wasn't it? Yeah, the Avalanche Rider. That is all I need to know. <laughs> he is kind of a clever dude. He's a very wise, wise individual. And I, uh, that's another one I haven't unfortunately gotten a chance to sit down and really delve into. I've only looked at a bit of the tutorial. It kind of reminds me of some a bit more clunky card games I've played. However... This just seems to be the full version flat out, so I think it's going to be more tactical than having to worry about what your card pool is. Now, something to bear in mind for anyone considering this bundle, Star Realms there is a Android download, and it's in the lowest tier of purchase. So you can buy two copies of Star Realms, one for you, one for a buddy, keep the URL for your buddy's copy on your phone, and just someone says, oh, that Star Realms game looks good, you can go, great, here, have a copy. Because it's a full version of the game. It's it's not a date game where you have to build a deck pool. It's much more uh, approachable. And uh, Star Realms is also, of course, available for Windows and Mac. Yes. And then there's also Talisman, which Fox and I actually have some experience with. Well, we played the board game version of Talisman, but I don't know. Like, it just says Talisman Digital Edition, and that is that would not be a card game. It is not a card game, which makes me very confused as to why it's in the card game bundle. Oh, because right. it has character boosters. Well, it has some... Well, they're not really character bits. boosters. They're just character additional packs. characters. Yeah. Which they're I just, assume is just the ones from the expansions. Yeah. It, well, you can also buy the expansions. Pay the Amazon. <laughs> but Talisman is, is a game that I have already invested an exorbitant amount of money into <laughs> on Steam. Yep. I have bought every expansion as they have come out. I have bought every character pack. <laughs> it's a really good game. It's it's a good game in particular because, and this is going to sound really silly, but it's a good game because it's not that fair. A lot of Talisman huh. is... A, a lot of what makes Talisman work as a board game is that it's a board game where you're trying to do things, but the player who gets how the game works is not at a grotesque advantage over the players who don't. So you're still having the story take shape as players move around the board, but a large portion of how the game works is going to be semi-random. I have always felt Talisman was missing one, just one thing that would make it great. And that is, I want alternate conditions. And not alternate victory conditions for everyone. I'm talking like character motivation kind of things. 
Because you get dealt these cards at the beginning of the game, but they become, every time we play, they become less and less relevant. Because someone just locks into a few points of strength early on, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the brawniest thing on the board is the profit or whatever. And <laughs> I often found myself just inventing alternative goals because that was more interesting to me than the game I was supposed to be playing. Like, I had an elf who turned evil at the beginning of the game, and I was like, I don't really care what else happens in this game. My goal is to turn back to good. It kind of encourages that in a way, because a lot of times it seems like that luck will favor or defavor a particular player in a game of it. I've played it a few times with friends, which, by the way, important thing to remember, the last time I played this online, it still had a bug in it where you could not finish a four-player game. (laughs) <laughs> you had to play three players and a computer. I don't know if they fixed that yet. I hope they have. Lame. Does that mean four is the maximum number of players in the digital version? Four is the maximum number of players in the digital version. Aw, that's kind of a shame. Another thing to take note of is that it has what are called runestones, which it's been a good decade since I've played Talisman physically. And I don't think those were a part of the board game at all. No ringing a bell for me. They were, they are in the, they are buffs to your character that you could have at the start. You start at, uh, you know, a higher strength or a higher mind or, and the more that you have, the higher level runestone you have, the higher the bonus you get. So if, if a player has all the gold runestones, they start off at an advantage if they use them. How do you get them? You can either unlock them by playing games of Talisman. Oh. By finish, yes, they're tracked by player. Mm. You unlock them either by finishing games of Talisman, which takes a long time. Yeah, it's, it's a, not it's something you can good. sit down and play for twenty <laughs> yeah. minutes. I mean, it takes a long time. It's or you can buy them. Hour. You can buy the complete runestone pack. Ah, and that's kind of scummy. Yeah. However, you can set up your game. Uh, you can set up a custom, your game when it starts to disable them. Oh, that's a okay. good idea. That, that's something nice. And there are a lot of house rules and variant rules that you can enable or disable as you're setting up your game. Hmm. Me, I would absolutely recommend it for a dollar. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> as far as Humble Bundles go, this is one of the absolute best ones I've seen for an investment of a buck. Like, there was that time that they gave out Trousers and Gunpoint alongside Bastion at the bottom tier. That was pretty good. But <laughs> what about Dominion Online? Well, it's Dominion, but online. Yeah, I'm I'm reasonably familiar with Dominion myself. What about you, Fox? I kind of know what it is. I haven't really it's... played it, but that's because I sensed very early that it was not my kind of game. <laughs> I don't know if I addressed this on the last podcast, but I am a profoundly sore loser and a much worse winner. So I I don't play competitive stuff at the best of times, and I'm also just absolute shit at planning on the fly, as it were. So the whole idea of you build your deck as you play is... My brain doesn't think about that many things at once. I have a very tunnel vision kind of mind. Dominion is, as far as I know, it is the first modern deck-building game. Anyways, it is the formula upon which all other deck-building games seem to play, except uh, the non-collectible card games, the deck-building games, the, the your Ascensions, your Marvel, your DC The deck-building game is where building the deck is part it is, of play, right? It is part of the, yes, where part of the game itself is drawing from a, a massive pool of cards 
building up your deck to achieve a certain number of victory points as you play. Yeah. And Dominion is that. <laughs> it is the it is the godfather of them all. Now, something to recommend for Dominion players, because I, I've said this before, but every game is the best game for someone. Dominion is a really good game for people who want to compete by comparison, but not by interaction. If you want the end of the game to come up and go, okay, who got the most points? That person won. Dominion is a great game. If you want a game where you compete with your opponents by like, oh, I see you're doing pretty well there. Well, I'm just going to kick you in the ribs. I crash you into the dirt. I win. Yeah. Dominion. To be fair, though, as you're starting out Dominion, uh, you can really mess with your opponents well, <laughs> early on if you if you direct yourself towards that route. Yeah, but most of what you do through Dominion's uh, interaction with your opponents is through deprivation of common resource. Wasn't there mm-hmm. a specific expansion that was basically about here's some things that let you proactively fuck yeah, your opponents? that would be the Intrigue expansion, which lets right. you start putting in things into your opponent's decks that have negative effects, <laughs> reduced victory points for a start. Yeah. I liked that idea, but it is still one expansion for the, the greater game, and Dominion is still, broadly speaking, a game where Oh, everyone... yeah, I'm not saying you first take that into account, your analysis is wrong. Yeah, it's it's a lot like everyone at the table is sitting there building their own little machine, and at the end of the game, you compare machines to see who got the coolest. And I think that's a perfectly valid way to design a game. Yeah. I think so, this is a perfectly I... awesome sounding deck building game, too. Yeah. I'd love to... Let me get a pen. I'd, I'd like to play something like that without the aspect of, and it's the machine that gives you the resources as you go along. Yeah. I've had it way too hard to snowball into a loss with that kind of game. And you, that seems to be, from my observations, how Dominion plays, basically. Yeah. You, you lose someone... early on, you have, go away. <laughs> well, that's actually something I like about uh, certain games, especially the, the deck building ones, is that you can see yourself losing. So yeah. you might as well just go all in and go for funny. That's true. I am going to corner the market on blacksmiths. Just said you have a better sense of humor than I do, cousin Jeb. <laughs> Last time I played Dominion, I bought every thief in the pool, You're and so every shit. turn I was just stealing things after things after things from other players. <laughs> now, as far as the top tier for the bundle goes, there's more scroll stuff, which... Uh, uh, we should also mention that the mid-bundle also has two more starters and some bonus gold for Soul Forge. Yep. And that bonus gold for Soul Forge will be enough to get you a legendary, it will get you a discounted monthly legendary chest. That's pretty cool. So you'll get a whole bunch of really fascinating cards. Bear in mind, if you wanted to buy the dinosaur starter on Steam on its own, that's 20 bucks or 10 bucks, I'm not sure. But I think it's 10, but either way, I wouldn't, I would honestly not recommend spending, especially since it's in bundled, but I wouldn't recommend spending money on Soul Forge directly unless you really wanted to get into it competitively. Or if you wanted to support the developer, that's also a perfectly legitimate reason to buy their stuff. And that leaves us with this one weird beast, which I know of, and I've heard people mention, but I've never seen played, Card Hunter. Card Hunter. I am familiar with Card Hunter. It is an interesting beast. It's a combination of your typical browser-based game with, you have uh, limited resources, uh, in addition to usual usual things like your in-game currencies and whatnot, you also have like an energy stat. You can only do so much a day. Right. But this one is a combination of uh, a card game where you build your deck out of your card pool, 
But there's also a tile-based strategy role-playing element of it. What? But the strategy role-playing element, the the, med- the the story around it is that there is, you're playing out a tabletop pen and paper role-playing game. Okay, this is pretty interesting. So the narrator is the GM. It's not that uh, I dislike the idea. I just don't trust someone else's idea of a good GM. <laughs> well, it's got it's got this meta humor about it that uh, appeal that can be hit or miss. It generally works. Uh, it's mostly inoffensive in the in some of the jokes. There's like a, a storyline about while you're you know while you're supposed to be going out to hunt kobolds, the 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 GM is more worried about impressing the the, the girl who's delivering pizza. So that's part of the the narrative that goes on while you're still playing your tile-based role-playing game, and the the art style for the the aesthetic for the tile-based part of it is kind of neat because I'm not sure if any of you remember the old-fashioned stand and cardboard cutout games of of your. Yes, we do. What do you mean old-fashioned? There. <laughs> he means. Games that, uh, well, so underprivileged, they have to have little cardboard stand-up miniatures instead of real proper miniatures as you might find sculpted by, oh, I don't know, X-Mana Studios? Oh, the plug, the plug. <laughs> He's a can go check Are we getting paid for that? I, I, I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> We're not getting paid sold, for that. I did that it out of the goodness of my heart. It has that same model, the little plastic stands and the, the cardboard yeah. cutouts of the... It's just charming. The, it's the HeroQuest look. No, yes. HeroQuest had actual... No, HeroQuest had, had uh, yeah, Games Workshop never... never on the other hand, on the uh, fourth edition... I think it's fourth? No, second. The second edition of Talisman that I have floating around, that has cardboard miniatures. Oh, yeah. And my goodness, are they ugly like balls. <laughs> So by and large, it's a pretty good bundle. Well, it's it's a very good bundle at, at the bottom tier. It's a pretty good bundle at the mid tier, and it's kind of a your mileage may vary at the top tier. It is. Uh, I believe the premium pack for Card Hunter will give you additional resources in game that you can then invest to unlock different quests and storyline arcs. <laughs> Card Hunter Basic Edition Premium. <laughs> basic Premium. So well, remember, it is it was also a free-to-play game. <laughs> the, the single best piece of value in this bundle, which is that you can get a free copy of Card City Nights. You get both the digital version of Card City Nights and a print-and-play copy of it. Which is pretty cool. I would not mind at all playing a physical version of Card City Nights. Uh, the game is wonderfully charming, which can be said for all of uh, all of Ludosity's works. Really a big fan of their work. <laughs> uh, the story is wonderfully lighthearted. It's very much in line with some of the things like It'll Do and Hyper Princess Pitch. It's just everything they do just is wonderful, and I hope they do more. It's a single-player game, and you're not paying anything for it in this case. There's actually one more thing. You also get a print-and-play copy of Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space, which I don't know anything about, but its name is Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space, and it's free, and you print it out and play it yourself. Now here to bring you the latest in news for the week, starting January 19th, 2014. Retro Gaming News! We have 
four different game releases this week that were noteworthy. 2014, right? 2014. Now, one of these is a port. We have a game that is a mobile tie-in to an existing franchise reboot. All right? Is that the Deus Ex thing? Holy crap! <laughs> yes, it's Deus Ex the Fall. Don't win it that quickly, Jeff. You just make a joke first. Piss around a bit. I think he did. <laughs> Ooh, burn. Look, Deus Ex the Fall was on sale on Steam for two dollars fifty. Wait, wait, what's Deus Ex the Fall? I know of Deus Ex, and I know of Deus Ex Human Revolution. Deus Ex the Fall is a mobile tablet game, which was made as a tie-in to Human Revolution. That sounds like it could be really cool. It could be. It was on sale for two dollars fifty. That sounds like it's not really cool. During the Christmas Steam Steam sale. Not Christmas sales. I had four people tell me it's not worth it. Did you solicit the opinion? No, I just <laughs> mentioned the game. Okay. I don't know why it's so bad, but at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if the download is full of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> Cyborg snakes. Cy- oh, cyborg snakes. Ah, me- now it's cool again. Oh, damn. <laughs> Curse these transhumanists and their wily, seductive ways. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I know some pretty hot transhumanists. <laughs> All right, okay, that's that's that one out of the way. We have a rhythm game. We have a rhythm game that has been in a humble bundle. We have a rhythm game from a humble bundle with martial arts as a theme. Oh, is this Kickbeat? It's Kickbeat! Hey! Hey! I was trying to remember all the rhythm games I named last time, but that was the only one I couldn't think of. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. No, it's not that. No, he's doing it to trick me. Yeah, Kickbeat is a fun little indie game. Uh, I believe it goes for like $5 on the Humble Store at the best of times. Next piece of retro news. It's a small indie game. About a sport, where Kickbeat was a game where you want to press one button or two buttons on a fairly regular timer. This is a game where you want to push all the buttons, all of them, at once. I haven't the faintest idea what he's talking about. You, we already did Nidhogg. We already did Nidhogg, it's not Nidhogg. A sports game, you say? A sport an game. indie sport an game. indie sports game. A 2D... Sports ball? No, no. Um... Which it's everyone a... listening to this right now, go look up some trailers for sports ball. It is amazing. <laughs> it's skateboarding. Huh. Is it Ollie Ollie? It's Ollie Ollie! Oh, I don't know shit about that. Uh, I watched some of it during the, uh, during the Spawn for Good, uh, drive, and that game is beautiful, and it looks like it's extremely difficult. It's incredibly hard to play well. It's really easy to play. But if you want anyone to get, I think it's what, five combos, you're at that point basically an ambidextrous spider. It's aesthetically wonderful. The soundtrack is outstanding. It, the, the, that soundtrack just is nonstop, a wonderful jam, and it's something you could easily listen to just on its own without hesitation. The thing I wanted to say about it is that it's a 2D skateboarding game after generations, like literally gaming generations being defined by 3D skateboarding games when skateboarding came up. The, the Tony Hawk series, which was, as far as 
franchises go milked so dry it was basically a husk of leather. It was it was mo- milked so hard that it milked other franchises like the Dave Mira franchise. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really was a, a, a very defining element of the genre. And what Ollie Ollie did was knocked away because it was an indie game. Though, so like, no one's going to judge us for not being a giant 3D game. No one's going to judge us for that. What can we do that you could do in Tony Hawk? Well, in two dimensions with pixel art and with minimal resources. And so it's just the combo system. Except because it's just the combo system, they're focused on it, it's tight, it's amazingly responsive, and it's beautiful. For a game about falling downstairs and cracking your nose, it's amazing. As I mean, an aside, the, the Tony... Neither of us played Skater Die, I think. <laughs> Skater Die was amazing. Okay. 720, 720 Degrees was even better for that, because you actually had to, uh, in, in addition to just skating to your next event, you actually had to navigate obstacles and bees. <laughs> wait. Oh, wait, everything's on. better with bees. Hang on. Did, did I hear that right? What, bees? 720 degrees? You had the, to the, navigate... It was a skating game covered in bees. 720 degrees was a, a skating game that was covered in bees. If you took too long to get to your next destination, you would be attacked by bees. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's amazing. That's as good as the, the snowman in uh, Ski Free. Yeah, the whole snowman that just comes along and eats you. <laughs> yeah, you finished your race ages ago. Stop fucking about. As, as an aside about the, the Tony Hawk era, that was a, an interesting time period where the song... Dragula by Rob Zombie was in every single (laughs) racing game. Oh, the cultural notes I have missed by like playing literally no racing games. As as a for a period of time, I uh, at least half of the games that I owned for the PlayStation One had Dragula in them. Yep, one of them was a a snowmobile racing game. I'm a particular cultural outcropping in that I'm an adult male who will admit to liking ska music. And Are you, you're not supposed to like ska anymore. Is that a thing now? It, it's just nobody listens heavily. to ska anymore. It's, it's attacked very heavily to this period of media history. Yeah. Because all the Tony Hawk games had less than Jake. They all had um, uh, not necessarily the Boston's, but they all had like there was a, a crop of like four or five different. Punk ska bands like MXPX and LTJ and the like, and they all fill those soundtracks. Jeb probably owns as many less than Jake songs as I do, just because he owns PlayStation One racing games. Uh, but the best thing about music tie-ins at that point was the Limp Biscuit clause. Did you hear about this? This all comes down to Sony owning the console, doesn't it? No, this comes down to the strangeness. Of the man that is Fred Durst. Fred Durst would license his music to anyone who wanted to sign the contract. But the clause in the contract was that Fred Durst had to be a playable character in the game. Is that how he got into the Fight Club game? That's how he's in the Fight Club game! (laughs) Which means that if you're playing Fight Club, which is already, let's say, an unexceptional game, you can then also play... A fairly unexceptional musician. Fox is doing this thing with her hands, hiding her face from a world that clearly wants to hurt her brain. Uh. 
we have a similar clause. Uh, we only talk about someone's uh, game if they agree to put us in it. I think that you're already a playable character in uh, Berserker, aren't you? I am a playable character in most games. <laughs> uh, Fist of Jesus, you're in that. Mm-hmm. Fox is already multiple Munchlaxons, so. Yep. Yep, I've been in tons of games. Three Munchlaxes in a suit. <laughs> funnily enough, that's how they... You're all just jealous of my waddle. <laughs> that's, funnily enough, that's and how they... And so have instead of swagger. That's how Booker DeWitt's motion capture was handled. That's why he runs like that. Oh, sorry. Um, for those who didn't suffer through Bioshock Infinite's control experience, um, Booker DeWitt runs like he's on top of a ball. He's he... pinning on the blood-stained badge that says, Ask me about Bioshock Infinite. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Booker runs forward decently well. He can veer a bit to the left or to the right while he's doing it, but you can't run, stop, turn quickly. You've got this horrible momentum while you're turning. It's really nasty. Ah. All right. He's on skates. That would explain a lot. And be funnier. The Funnier than three munchlaxes. I, I defy Three munchlaxes in a suit. Standing on, on one another's heads. And they can't stop quickly because the, the middle one overbalances and the top one just goes, okay. and then they all just roll around for a bit trying to get back to their feet. This is how you do the hit point mechanic in the game, and they all come back together and, like, pile up again. Also, you could put them on skates. Exactly. Munchlaxon on ice. <laughs> Sorry. The fourth piece of retro news is good news. A game has been ported to the Macintosh this week. It's another reboot of a franchise. It's an awful game and a good game. Two it- worlds. Ooh, Close. Damn, Final Fantasy relaunches. No, Jeb was close in that it starts the same. That's two worlds. How's two worlds start? No, no, the, the word. Too human? <laughs> no, not too. I would not consider too human a good game and a bad game. I would just consider it a bad game. Hell, technically too human is a crime. And I don't mean that in your game reviewer hyperbole way. It is technically an illegal act. It actually caused horrible lawsuits to happen to the developer. Yeah, it, it led to a judge ordering all copies of the game retrieved and destroyed. Oh, as well as other games right, that right. they stole. Yeah, and a friend of mine owns a signed copy of the game. Goddamn. <laughs> which he is apparently keeping hidden from the feds. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's a game. Ironically, ironically enough, that was Silicon Knights, wasn't it? Yeah. Tui! Who made a very, very wonderful game Yeah, they made um, Eternal Darkness, didn't they? They made Eternal Darkness, and they also did Metal uh, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. Yeah. Which takes Metal Gear Solid and basically turns into a Hong Kong action movie. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? This this sort of slow-motion form. Was there significant new content in Twin Snakes? Uh, Mostly it was jet noises whenever they did a dodge in a (laughs) cutscene. Worth it. I'm not going to call that significant or not. Worth it. Well, you had snake backflipping off of uh, missiles. Actually, no. It is the, de- it is the definitive definitive version of Metal Gear Solid. I want a mod for Metal Gear, for any Metal Gear game. Anyone who could do this for me. 
where anytime anyone is pointing a gun at someone else, they're not pointing a gun. They're pointing their finger, holding their hand like a little kid playing guns. <laughs> and so whenever they fire, you see the thumb go and they go, pew, 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 pew. I got you, I got you, pew, 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 pew. Uh, Ocelot already kind of does that. When oh, you're going to wow. replace the neck snapping with. <laughs> it's all panto. No. <laughs> Bang, you're dead. It's a game with a female protagonist. It's How much do I hate her on a scale of one to Bayonetta? Tomb Raider? It is Tomb Raider! No! Oh. Hey. Oh. Hey. I was just trying to make a pun. Yeah, you, no, you're uh, absolutely right. No, <laughs> you said to Womb Raider. <laughs> No, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> She's making fun of me, not you. No, I was making fun of Jeb. Well, I was making fun of the words that time. <laughs> I, look, everything I have to say about Tomb Raider has already been said, I think. Like, I can't criticize it as an actual game to play. Uh, and I boycotted it based on the stupid shit that marketing people said about it. That was our retro news roundup, eventually. Four games that I genuinely enjoy that shouldn't be good. <laughs> Those are always fun. Uh, first on the list, I really actually quite enjoy talking about this game a lot. It's Euro Truck Simulator 2, <laughs> which I... is the consummate dad game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is literally a game about shipping cargo around Europe. You drive different kinds of trucks. You go from point A to point B in a scaled-down version of European roads. You, if you, otherwise, it would take too long. Which they are making an American version of it soon, so I can't wait to see how they manage to to scale that down. <laughs> All of Kentucky is just one straight. <laughs> they they recreate the major major highways of of Europe, and it fits in with the time scaling. So something if you go at fifty miles an hour, you will go 50 miles in an in-game hour. Okay. Oh, yeah. That makes it... That but makes sense. it is so relaxing. <laughs> and just driving through all this European scenery with your reasonably well physics truck, which means that turning can sometimes be a little difficult. <laughs> I can understand that. I mean, racing games I don't get, but just the the act of moving through a game world just for its own sake. I totally understand that. What we're basically saying here is that Euro Truck Simulator 2 is a better shadow of the Colossus. Maybe he's saying that. <laughs> if the I Colossus is. is Europe, yes. I joked at one point that Euro Truck Simulator 2 was such a dad game that it came with a tr- with a CD of Frampton and the Eagles. <laughs> and then Jeb informed me that the game actually does have a radio station that's pretty much just classic rock. <laughs> well, the game lets you stream radio from anywhere on the internet. Excellent. And the Eurotruck Simulator 2 fan base are the kind of people who will provide, oh, here are the IPs for all of the stations for the countries you're passing through. Here's a Dutch radio station. Here's a German radio station. Anyone listens to, as far as I know, is Hot Mix Radio. It's a French pop music station that plays mostly 80s and 90s pop. Nice. <laughs> you don't need anything else in your life at all. 80s and 90s uh, French pop or 80s and 90s global pop? Both. Nice. <laughs> all right, then. What's the next game? All right, game number two is a post-apocalyptic survival crafting 
game. No, don't turn this off. <laughs> <laughs> it's Neo Scavenger. Neo Scavenger sounds like it should be like everything else out there. Yeah, it sounds like it should it, be. <laughs> what instead you get is this very oppressive and difficult and brutal survival simulation in a turn-based, hex-based uh, simulation of a post-apocalyptic scenario in the, the Michigan wilderness. You start off with nothing but a hospital gown and whatever you can scavenge from the, the, the cryo center that you start out in before some very large beast you can hear makes its way inside. Tell me it's one of those open bomb hospital gowns. Yes. Alright, they're committed. And this is Michigan in the late fall. Uh, fill me on in Michigan pretending like I'm a person who really knows very little <laughs> or cares about the USA. It has snow. I know it's in the USA, that's about all I know about Michigan. It's right by a giant pile of lakes. And cars. It's right by Canada. Oh, okay, it has I snow. Get it. Please you could have just started with right by Canada. <laughs> Canada I know shit about. <laughs> the region of Michigan that it takes place in is not to the south of me. It is on the same oh, I see. as I'm on, so. Right. <laughs> Outside is a dangerous concept at times. The game involves doing things like I chased around some looters and scavengers for several hours of game time, not playtime. But for several turns of the game, chasing them down because I really needed shoes. <laughs> it's a it's a game that will let you pile on more and more layers of clothing so that you can, you know, not freeze. Oh, yeah. It has a very deep inventory system, which involves things like holding a plastic bag in your hand that you can then put other things into. Wow. It involves, uh, for example, if you drink uh, a bottle of water. You now have a bottle, that, a container that you can put other things into. Yeah. It That's also, pretty cool. It also uh, differentiates itself in a lot of ways from those, that family of games, in that enemies don't care about you. They care about your stuff. Stuff is the most important thing, usually. So, so if they're aware they have better stuff than you, they're not only going to want to not pick a fight with you, they're actually going to want to avoid you. If you have a cache set up and you go out for ex explore, you don't have to be afraid something's going to kill me. You have to be afraid someone's going to nick my stuff. Oh. Well, one time I distracted a group of ravenously hungry children by throwing Twinkies at them. <laughs> Is that a war crime of some sort? No, Twinkies are good. Twinkies are okay. Twinkies are good? Okay. In the post-apocalyptic landscape, it's food. Good point. That, that's always the story about Twinkies, isn't it? <laughs> they will last. The combat system in it is rather unique in that it's, well, it, for this kind of game, it's turn-based. Uh, you have to manage distances and your environments. It's text-based, by the way. So you have a description. Oh. You know, there are stumps around here. You're in a densely forested region. The The footing is uneven, things like that. And it gives you a lot of options based on your skills and your equipment. Like, you can charge at them and try to punch them or stab them with a broken glass bottle. Or so, you can hide out and wait for them to come by and trip them. You can tackle them. So does this have any graphics at all? It's entirely text-based. Uh, there are a, there are some sprite works on, like, the overworld map. Oh, yeah. 
it's a grid-based map, and that's about it. And there's graphics for the various inventory items you find as you play. So you can see as you're drag-and-drop-it on your character model, or not your character model, because you don't really see it. Um, also, the combat is brutal. Yes. <laughs> because it is, despite what video games have taught a lot of people, it can be exceptionally difficult to kill or incapacitate someone with your bare hands. <laughs> ah, yes. So you need to often spend time, make sure, if you want to make sure they stay down and don't come back after you, you may ha- find yourself spending a lot of time ki- kicking them while they're unconscious. Yeah. And it's surprising how many players balk at the task of, as it were, finishing the job. Because it's not just a, a case of you're pressing, you know, yeah. press X to stop, like a, like a dead space or something. It's, well, they're still not quite dead. That didn't do kick. it. You want to try again there, son? Step on neck again. Kick, 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 pick up rock. <laughs> With a bonus side effect of you're actually get spending a lot of time exposed to the elements and spending time and energy that you don't really have killing one person. And hopefully they don't have friends. Yeah. Uh, moving on, the third game, I should say, is in a similar vein, it's Safe House Diaries, which is a zombie survival game. <laughs> but Safe House Diaries is absolutely a zombie game. It is also one where you manage through, uh, where you manage a randomly created party of five survivors, each with their own personality traits, which are randomly assigned, their skills, their histories, their backstories are all generated for you when you start the game. And because of that, they already have default relationships with one another. For example, person A might not like women, might just be a misogynist. So that person will already have a strained relationship with any women in the party. Some people are have various, uh, some people might not like wealthy people. Some people might not like police officers. So you already have this dynamic of who, in order to keep everyone's morale high, you don't want to necessarily, if you're sending out a patrol, you don't want to send out the two people who hate each other most. Right. The entire thing's interface is done through a book, like a scrapbook. My fourth game is... A charming, broken mess of an open-world action RPG that I cannot help but absolutely adore, and that is Two Worlds. Really? Tell us more, Jeb. Two Worlds was supposed to be the the Oblivion killer. It was (laughs) supposed to be the next-gen experience on the, the Xbox 360 that everyone would be talking about for for forever. They were kind of right. <laughs> Two Worlds is not a good video game. It is a mess. The voice acting is charmingly bad. Everyone speaks in this forsooth verily and thou shalt go on to find the kobolds. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Uh, the, the combat is just a mess of button mashing and ridiculous footwork. The, the animations are choppy. The, the game doesn't look all that appealing. So, what's but, love? Uh, I don't know, but... 
it all comes together in this this mess of this this wreck of unbalanced ideas that you see what they tried to do and they might have missed but by god they went for it <laughs> you compared it to a golden retriever puppy once <laughs> just kind of skidding all over the place sometimes two worlds is a game that it tries really hard to do everything so well sometimes it just eats its own shoes <laughs> Two Worlds has a, a crafting system which could be neat, but they decided instead to go with you just smash your items together and it levels them up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you find up. Animation. <laughs> well, you start off by getting, for example, a basic club from a starting enemy. You'll have dozens of these, and you just keep throwing them on each other again and again. Oh, you wind up with like a level 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 fifty five club <laughs> right off the start of the game, and you don't need anything else. Club. <laughs> Tell me it gets reached before I, I believe they patched it so that you had to use the exact same kind of club. But uh, originally, you just had to have the same kind of weapon, so. Any club you found could be mashed on to your super club. You're just carrying around a tree at this point, right? <laughs> or a staff, or the, I have a level four, short, I have a level seventy-five short sword, which is just seventy-five swords stick together. Oh, that's in Game of Thrones. I've seen it. <laughs> it's it on, right? Uh, the the magic system involves cards, which may be why I like it. Uh. You, uh, well, it has this this. You combine elements to your magic together in what's called an amulet, but it's basically another crafting window. Like, if you want to have a fire spell that sprays out in a direction, like a like a flamethrower, you combine your fire effect with your spray and your additional effect. Like, it uh, has extended range, for example. Okay. So you combine all that, and it makes you make your own spells, and it's kind of actually neat. Somehow this game got a sequel, and the sequel is unfortunately average. It wasn't even trying to do anything silly. It wasn't. It wasn't awful. It wasn't good. It was just average, and I'm so disappointed in it. So technically, it's better than the first one. It is a technically better game than the first one. I would not recommend playing it. <laughs> That's beautiful. Two, the original Two Worlds is something that I think everyone should experience just for the the sheer wonder of everything that goes on. Mounted combat in Two Worlds is a sight to behold. <laughs> See, this is why we've got to get ourselves an endorsement deal with Humble so that we can get the <laughs> Humble Jeb bundle, which is just four copies of Two Worlds, four copies of Bad Rats. Give them to your friends. Which is three months last year. That's, uh, that does sound like something that could be fun to, say, live stream. Yes. Especially if one were a little interesting experiencing it for the first time. Two Worlds always provides you with something interesting. <laughs> All right. We should probably get around to the four games list then. I think we... I was going to do uh, four games wherein 100% completion has been the bane of my existence. Oh. And one of those is definitely It'll Do, where I've gotten everything visible on the maps. <laughs> and I'm still missing something somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> And I really actually want to complete it, because that game was excellent, and especially the, the, the this is kind of spoilery, but the, there's a big reveal with Tipsy, and 
that just completely won me over. Um, yeah, I would also like to note that that, it, that game has a shopkeeper that the first time I saw the character, <laughs> I posted a picture of it to Twitter going, Jeb, what is this game? <laughs> and the response was saying along the lines of, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a properly good, funny game. It also, is very good. Even though, I, to be honest, I don't enjoy the 2D Zelda gameplay very much. Mm. Um, I really have only enjoyed the 3D Zeldas, though I've made an exception for Minish Cap just because it's the cutest goddamn thing ever. And uh, Zelda is another game where 100% completion was the bane of your existence. Yes. Well, that would be Twilight Princess, where I'm still missing one goddamned Poe, and I haven't looked it up in the, I don't know what, 10, 15 years since that game was published, because I'm too stubborn. Tw- Twilight Princess did not come out in 2000. Just for what it's worth, it didn't come out in 2000. No, I don't know true. when. Yeah, it's getting pretty close there. I want to say like 2007 or 2008. Yeah. yeah it's, it's and I have the GameCube version. Oh, I remember the GameCube. I didn't have a Wii at that point. The dusty days of yore. But also, I was I was resolute on my right-handed link policy. <laughs> so I chose the GameCube version for exactly this reason. Would you like to elaborate on that a little bit? I really like that Link is left-handed. It was just a thing that had no reason to be that way, but it was, and that was cool, because, you know, characters are always right-handed, white, straight guys who are either uh, vaguely Asian-looking white characters who are supposed to be Asian or Americans, (laughs) and it just bothers me. Anyway. Or a grizzled, brown-haired white dude. Grizzled. Stubbly brunettes. We're looking at you, Booker DeWitt. The other two games, Okami. I I got every goddamn stray bead in that hundred long stray bead fucking search. Uh, and I'm missing one enemy uh, scroll entry from the one section of the game you can't get back to. I'm noticing a trend here with the genre of games which are <laughs> in this your This is more form. a trend in the genre of games I play. Uh, <laughs> I am a big action-adventure game player. And by the way, the last one is Muramasa. <laughs> Which is basically a 2D Zelda. It is, yeah, it's basically just another action-adventure game. It would pretty much be a straight beat-em-up game, but there is actually, like, definitely an exploration element to it. I should probably mention my four games. Yes! These are four games that I retried because of a friend. First up is Two Worlds. (laughs) I haven't tried it yet. These are games that I explicitly, at some point, went, this is pish, threw over my shoulder, and a friend brought me around to trying them again. In a good way, or...? Well, it it worked out differently. Not necessarily. Not necessarily in a good way. Okay, so, first things first, Prince of Persia, 2008. Really? Yeah, really. I loved the... I loved the Sands of Time arc of the Prince of Persia franchise once I got into it. It was one of the by first arc, console- just By arc, you mean just the first game, right? Well, no, I, I actually liked Sands of Time and Two Thrones. There's just something about the, the prince going from his the tea party phase to... And not that tea party, the, the good <laughs> one, the, the band, going from that to the Limp Bizkit, the, the, the new metal phase Wait, just kind of always threw me off. Wait, this is this is weird. Are you you telling me that there's a game that came after The Forgotten Sands, sorry, The Sands of Time, that wasn't Two Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's better than what I thought you were going to say. I, I thought you were going to say if it was a Limp Biscuit phase, then why did we why is not, Fred Durst? <laughs> why is Fred Durst not playable in Warrior Within? Oh no, I've admitted it exists. In 
in all seriousness, I really loved those games. I felt that they had a very particular type of parkour that they did really well. I played them to bits. Then I got my oh, hands on Prison you know Persia what, hmm? You know what game engine those ran, ran on, by the way? No. It's something called the Jade Engine that uh, Ubisoft was playing around with back then. Wow, that's for Beyond Good and Evil, isn't it? That certainly is. Wow. Hey. Prince of Persia 2008 had a style of parkour that was different, distinctly different. I didn't like it. Um, at first, I felt that it was very low risk, and I, I used terms like low challenge. Uh, I felt that it wasn't as much about making a puzzle out of a pathway the way that the original Sands of Time style was. And I was quite happy to just dismiss it as that, and, you know, I didn't like this game, the PC port controls are kind of rubbish, I'm done with it. But I was... I was complaining about this on Twitter, as I do. As I do. And Caitlin Gad, the Caitlin Cad, asked me, you know, have, how, how far have you played? Because I really like that game. I'd really like to talk to you about it. And she went on to say that she found some really interesting mechanics in that game. And at this point, I'm thinking, hang on a second. Caitlin is really smart. How is she liking this game that I thought was utter pish? So I went and I reinstalled it, and I played it again focusing on what she mentioned. And what she mentioned, the thing that crystallized it for me, was she said that it was a non-punitive game style. Prince of Persia 2008 is a game that never tries to punish you for playing. If you get it wrong, it just says, all right, we're going to go back a little bit and you're going to try that again. And so the point of that game isn't to succeed versus failing. It's to get into a rhythm. It's really like a mobile rhythm parkour game without music as your defining thing, but rather reactions to visual prompts. I was put in mind of, when you said that, I was put in mind of something like Dust Horse. Like, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, you failed, you die. It's, it's you know, well, you could have done that better. And that makes the game almost meditative. I wouldn't have learned that if I hadn't tried the game again, thanks to Caitlin, who is absolutely fantastic. Next game that I tried a second time because a friend told me to was this... Bad Rats. Obscure... Yeah, that's probably going to make the edit. Um, it, was, it was this obscure little space RPG game called Mass Effect. And Never I heard played, of it. Yeah, I played it the first time and thought, wow, this is basically like a space bookkeeping game. This is really kind of rubbish. Um, I'm not very impressed with this game. And it's cooldown-based guns. or that That's a good idea, but it just means that there's no responsiveness when you're firing things. And I don't have any stake in the world. And the characters are ugly, and they kind of slouch through the world, and, and movement is really gross. I, I don't like this game at all. And I put it aside, and a year later, a friend of mine asked me, have you finished Mass Effect 2 yet? I, I haven't finished Mass Effect 1. Have you finished yeah. the good one yet? <laughs> and he went on to say, look, I understand that you may not necessarily like it, but Mass Effect 2 is pretty good Um, if you really really don't like Mass Effect 1, just start Mass Effect 2 with a hacked save so you can save some things. Well, I kind of don't want to do that, but I did get a bit of distance in Mass Effect 1. So where did you get to? So like, I got to Vermeer. Like, did you get to like the first cutscene of Vermeer? No, I just landed on it. Oh. Go to the first cutscene on Vermeer and then decide if you want to finish the game. And, and what did you decide? I decided to hold the line and... I finished Mass Effect 1 after literally two years. And Hold the line I... is a very good choice of words, by the way. Thank you. And then I booted up Mass Effect 2, and I finished it within three days. 
and then I immediately restarted it and finished it again within four days. And then I went and bought Mass Effect 3. Uh, I really love the Mass Effect franchise. I've played, at this point, something in the district of 60 hours of multiplayer of Mass Effect 3. I love Mass Effect 2. There's a lot in that game I'd love to talk about and unpack and, you know, get people focusing on. Mass Effect 1's a bad game, but thanks to a friend encouraging me just that little bit further, I finished Mass Effect 1, and I'm glad I did. Which, by the way, that first cutscene in Vermeer was really good. Really good. Third game on my list. X-Blades, right? No, no, not not X-Blades. Uh, no, it, it, it wasn't X-Blades. Because I retried it because a friend suggested it. No, the other game I tried again a second time was Bioshock Infinite. I played through Bioshock Infinite the first time and went, Ugh, this game isn't very good, but it's being talked about, and it's, you know, its story is trying something, and it's very pretty. I, I'll talk to Fox about it for a bit. And Fox was like, I don't quite get what you mean with all this. The, the plot's kind of obtuse. You're not making a lot of sense. So I was like, you know what? I'll play through this game again and show Fox the whole thing. And then we finished it and we sat back and she went, this is pish. <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> Still yeah. terrible. I have a, I have an extremely low tolerance for martyrdom. I, I just have zero patience with the whole dramatic sacrifice concept and Bioshock Infinite is one of the worst games ever for that. <laughs> One of the worst stories ever Ooh, for yeah. that, really. Uh, to me, it always feels like just a case of, you know, an author considering how many contrived reasons they could come up with that this is the only possible way things could work out properly. And, uh, well, the, the writing in Bioshock Infinite just comes out straight up and says that. <laughs> Here are the arbitrary rules that make this the only possible way to end things. Why do they exist? Because quantum or something... Bioshock Infinite is a game that is worse than it thinks it is in almost every way. There is there is nothing about that game that lives up to its own standards. Except for the fact that it's fucking gorgeous. It is beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful Such a waste of a game. wonderful bit of world magic. Really frustratingly yeah. so. Yeah. The fourth game that I tried a second time. Sonic 06. You're really sharp at this. I, I put in a dramatic pause and you're just you're just in there. Uh, well, originally I was going to say Bioshock Infinite, but... <laughs> nice! Uh, no, no, the fourth game that I tried a second time was Dead Space. And the thing that I tried, the thing that made me try that again was I bought the game on Steam and it was a buggy port. It didn't work, it fell over, and it deleted a, saving, a save game. Which, sure, it's a survival horror game, but there is a level of difficulty that I shouldn't have to put up with. And I... I was just mad at it, so I wrote a, a dismissive paragraph or two and threw it away. And about eight months later, Origin launched their Games on the House thing. And at the time, I was like, well, I don't want to run Origin. It's Origin. It's, 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 ew, it's EA. It's worse than Steam, etc. And a friend of mine who's a game developer, uh, Shelf, at one point got into a conversation with me about this, and I sort of dismissively said, you know, uh, it's EA, it's Origin, it's, I don't want to, I don't want to touch that. And he said, sure, you can look at it that way, but, Origin doesn't really do anything to your computer that Steam doesn't already do, and you're perfectly happy running Steam. So you could just close Steam for a bit and use Origin and get a free game. And at the time, I thought that that was a really simplistic way to view it, but then I realized how I'd effectively become a Steam brand loyalist, 
which is really juvenile, and it was really silly. Especially given what we felt about and it's Steam. Certainly not like Steam was always good. So I tried um, Dead Space on Origin, and funnily enough, it was a much more up-to-date patched version of the game. It handled its cloud saves better, and I got to play all of Dead Space, and I loved it to freaking bits. It was a fun, interesting game with an interface I liked and a good narrative conceit, and I would have not known about any of that if I hadn't sucked up my pride and stopped being a Steam fanboy. This has been the Downloadable Concept Podcast. That's been Jeb. That's been Fox. And that's been Talon. Stay tuned next week when we finally reveal just where in the world is Carmen Sandiego. You're not allowed to harm a human or through inaction allow a human to come. You're not the boss of me.